Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome to the World Footprints family. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and each week we offer our unique brand of travel radio. As a leading voice in socially conscious and responsible travel, we are always pleased to introduce you to amazing guests who, like us, walk the talk and strive to foster global citizenship and leave positive footprints, like our newest partner, Pack for a Purpose. Did you know that just by setting aside a small space in your suitcase, five pounds worth of space, that you could supply crucial educational materials or simple medical supplies to children around the world? Rebecca Rothney founded Pack for a Purpose on the belief that every traveler can have a positive and big impact on a community by donating just a little of their luggage space. So sit back and enjoy the wonderful travel adventure that we have for you today. First on this edition of World Footprints Radio, Pack for a Purpose founder Rebecca Rothney stops by to tell us how a little bit of luggage space can go a long way in helping to change the world and how you can make a difference. Then Oscar-nominated director Bob Bilheimer sits down to share how he's using filmmaking to spotlight social, cultural, and humanitarian issues. His newest film, Not My Life, exposes the tragedy of human trafficking, and he'll talk to us about it. Finally, the music you hear in the back background is from our good friend at Venus Mixtimus will join us to talk about music and global Lithuanian leaders a nonprofit organization he founded to support Lithuanians all over the world will feature at Venus's music throughout the show today as always if you have a question or a comment write to us at comments at worldfootprints.com and no matter where you are in the world, you can find us. We broadcast throughout America and to worldwide audiences. You can always find us from our website, worldfootprints.com, or through our multiple distributors, stitcher.com, our unique mobile platform, Blog Talk Radio, and our newest distributor in South Africa, Travel Radio, which you can find at travelradio.co.za. Of course, we love connecting with you in real time through our multiple social networks like Facebook and Twitter. And don't forget, you can find the latest travel news, deals, and information through our newsletters, which you can sign up for at worldfootprints.com. Did you know that just by setting aside a small space in your suitcase, five pounds only of space, that you could supply crucial educational materials or simple medical supplies to children around the world? After returning from a trip to Kenya, our next guest was inspired to make a difference in others' lives. Rebecca Rothney founded Pack for a Purpose on the belief that every traveler could have a positive and big impact on a community by donating just a little of their luggage space. World Footprints has partnered with Pack for a Purpose to help foster purposeful travel, and we're pleased to introduce our newest partner and its founder, Rebecca Rothney. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Tanya. It's a pleasure to be here today. Now, you started Pack from a Purpose from an aha moment you had. What was your aha moment? <laughs> well, for several years, my husband and I had had the pleasure to travel to Africa on frequent flyer mile tickets. And after our first time, we had an opportunity to visit a school. 
And I realized we didn't need all the luggage allowance we had going over because once you land, you're on much smaller planes with a much smaller luggage allowance. So we collected all of our luggage as school supplies and worked with the safari company, Wilderness Safaris, to have them get from Johannesburg, where we landed, to Botswana, where we were going. We went to the school, which had not a single soccer ball. The kids were playing, as you often see in Africa, with a ball of rags tied up with a piece of plastic. And it was just an overwhelming experience. There were no rulers in the school. Um, The building was very nice because Botswana is a a fairly well-off country by African standards. But it was amazing to us the supplies they simply did not have. So, So several more trips when we went over, we were able to take things. And then when we were going to Kenya, we were visiting a place that had a clinic and a school. And I emailed them online and asked if they wanted anything, what they could use. And the clinic emailed back a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff. And I was really devastated. Mm. I thought, how can you have a clinic without a stethoscope? So I arranged to get those things from friends. They were donated. And I asked our travel agent, why don't all of your clients do this? It's not difficult, and they can't use their luggage allowance once they land. And he said these simple words to me, what they don't think about it, Rebecca. Wow. So, so essentially the mission of Pack for a Purpose is to raise that awareness for other travelers that they can use just a small part of their, their luggage to, Ex- to do something? Exactly. We just thought, I thought, well, I have to give them a way to think about it because I believe people are very generous, and if they thought about it, they'd be happy to do it. Um, We realized people couldn't be taking duffel bags full of supplies. That's a lot more effort when you're going on a vacation. But we felt everybody could bring five pounds or less or more, depending upon your luggage allocation, and that that way everybody could participate And if a 1,000 people did it every year, we'd move over a ton of supplies directly where it needed to go. It would be exactly what was needed, not what people thought somebody needed. And that would be really harnessing people power. So that's how the idea at least came into being. How does someone go about packing for a purpose? Uh, I know your website, packforapurpose.org, has uh, lots of resources, but but how would a a listener who wants to do something, wants to contribute uh, or take supplies on their next trip, how how do they use your website? Well, I'm happy to say it's really very easy because I tested the website being the least techno accomplished person in our group of volunteers. (laughs) So if I can do it, I can assure you anybody can do it. You go to our website and you would select a destination from a place you would be going in the world, whether it's the Caribbean or Oceania or Africa or Central America, and you'll see a list once you click of all the destinations we've uh, contacted so far, because we are just getting started. We've gone from 25 to 102 today. But we want to have every place on our planet that's doing a community-based project on our website. When you find a destination you're going to and you click on their page, they w- that will be a complete list of everything they've told us they need for their projects. And then you can select from that list what you'd like to bring. If you're not sure how to pack it, we have a how to pack section because a lot of things can be taken out of their containers and put in a soft uh, cloth bag or a plastic bag, which will eliminate even more weight. 
and some things need to be left in their original packaging, packaging like Connect Four or crayons, things with points on them that you don't want to break. And it's really that easy. All the places on our website are hoping to receive supplies, so it will be no surprise to them when you show up. If you want to uh, download a little card that says, we've received this from your family through Pack for a Purpose, you can do that as well on the website. Um, and it, it's just that easy. If two of you are going and you each take five pounds, well, that's ten pounds of supplies. But if all you can take is a soccer ball or 20 pencils, it will still make a big difference to the people where you're going to receive those supplies. And, and so just to, to clarify um, for our audience uh, members, you don't organize uh, volunteer, volunteer, or volunteer trips uh, for this purpose. You 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 have a a data bank of uh, charitable organizations in various countries around the world that people can, if they're going to said country, uh, like Chile or uh, Uganda or what have you, there are organizations there that uh, it, with their their wish list that people can respond to. Absolutely. What we focused on to make it easy and to take logistics out of the equation is every place on our website is someplace you would be spending the night already. And all of these places are already doing wonderful community-based projects right where they are with the involvement of the local community. So we're another way that you can become aware of that and then if you're going, take the supplies that they've requested. So all you have to do is drop them at the front desk. Another thing that guests can do, if they're aware of a place they may have stayed that's already doing a community-based project that's up on their website, is to let that de destination know about us, and we would be happy to then put them up on our website at no charge. We are an all-volunteer organization, and there's no cost involved to anyone except individuals who choose whatever they supplies, whatever supplies they want to take with them on their trip. Extraordinary. And this is, uh, sounds like it would be a wonderful family-type project. The children can get involved and, you know, leave a little room in their suitcases and, and give back to the communities they're going to visit as well. It kind of grows grows the, uh, the, the global citizen, I guess, from a young age. Oh, absolutely. And I think children love the idea of helping other children. I think it's eye-opening. In many cases, you can go visit the school, depending on the time of year and, and time of day, once you arrive at the destination, if that's something you'd like to do. And it's fun for children to do things for other children, and it just enforces, obviously, that family philosophy that everything is not about you. There are other people in the world, and contributing to them and their life and interacting with them makes your life so much richer as well. Now, how do you go about or do you select the, uh, the community-based programs uh, around the world, and, and do you vet applications if there is an application process? Uh, how do you uh, go about uh, ensuring that these are legitimate organizations? Oh, that's an excellent question, Tanya, and that was always a main concern and a focus when we got started, is we wanted to be sure the supplies you bring end up where they are supposed to be. So we approach it in several different ways. I, I'm fortunate enough to have some wonderful volunteers and college interns who work with us. So one thing we did was start using magazines like Condé Nast, the National Geographic Explorer, and every year they present awards 
to organizations, to destinations for poverty alleviation and support for education. So obviously, if you've won an award from one of these magazines, you are doing <laughs> what you say you are. So we contact all of them. But then also through doing research through the uh, Sustainable Travel International and the Internet Ecotourism Society International, um, very uh, worthwhile and legitimate organizations, we look at their members. In order to be on our website, you first must have that community project listed on your website so we know it's important to your destination, how you're involved with it, and after that, and talking with you and uh, going over specifics, then we put you up on our website. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people who are doing wonderful things haven't won an award yet, and that doesn't mean they're any less legitimate. But we would never put somebody on our website that didn't already have the project listed under community involvement on their website already. Now, I know, uh, uh, Rebecca, you've been doing this for some time, and there has to be, through your experiences, some really wonderful, memorable experiences that you've had with Pack for a Purpose. Are there any heartwarming stories that have just resonated with you over the years of doing this? Well, two really do stand out, and, and they did both. Well, the two that were most memorable, perhaps, although every time you do something like this, it's wonderful. I guess there are three. When we went to the school in Botswana, there was a family also staying at the lodging we were that asked if they could come along because they had children. And we said, you know, of course you can. So we all went to the school, and we bought some games like Connect Four uh, as well, some educational games. And within five minutes of opening up that game on the schoolyard, the children who happened to be American children and the children of Botswana were sitting there squatting in the dirt together, and the American children were teaching them how to play the game, which, mm -hmm. of course, they picked up in three minutes, you know, how the <laughs> children are. But it was just so wonderful to see the interaction and to be able to share something like that. It was, it was very heartwarming. And I guess the other powerful thing was being able to deliver that stethoscope. Actually, we were able to deliver two, and the blood pressure cuff and some other medical uh, supplies that they had requested in Kenya. And to see the smiles of the faces on those doctors. In fact, they're actually on our website. We took a photo when we went there, thinking we might have use for it as mm -hmm. we developed our website. And then when we went to the school at the same place, which is the Lewa Rhino Conservancy um, in Kenya, we showed up in the classes, and the day we showed up with the ge geometry kits was the exact day they were doing a geometry lesson without any geometry kits. Oh, my. Because they didn't have it. I mean, the odds <laughs> of that juxtaposition were just amazing. And so, of course, we were very, very grateful because children want to learn everywhere. All children are, are really eager, and I might use the word desperate, for mm -hmm. knowledge, mm -hmm. and especially in a country where that's your ticket to a better life for yourself and for your family. So to provide those kind of things, which we often take for granted in, in the United States and many other nations around the world, is a very pleasurable and meaningful experience. Absolutely, and, and you know, giving back is just so enriching, and I can't imagine anyone listening now, um, anyone who's listening now, not really wanting to, to do a little something extra. And, uh, and so tell us, how can our listeners help your organization spread some joy? Well, they can take this radio interview and forward it to all of their friends. Yes, please. <laughs> <might not> <laughs> and go to the World 
Footprints website because I know you have a lot of other wonderful interviews and there are a lot of people working in other complementary and also amazing organizations uh, that can benefit. They can help us by helping us identify places around the world that they're aware of where a traveler would be spending the night and they can certainly email us through our website and let us know and we'll be happy to uh, confirm what they know and then post those places on our website at no charge. And of course, they can help children around the world by taking a few moments gathering the supplies they wish to bring, and packing for a purpose every time they go on a journey um, and making the world a better place. I'm absolutely convinced of people's inherent goodness and kindness and willing to be benefit others from the things that they've benefited from. Um, and last year, we were able, actually, in our very first year, to move supplies to five continents. So that was a very gratifying thing. And to uh, the destinations that we work with, mm-hmm. send us back a report letting us know about how many pounds or kilos, because we are not America-centric, and most of the world does function on kilos, <laughs> <laughs> the kilos of supplies they get, so we are aware of it. And certain people have actually contacted us directly, because we do have a Your Story section on the website, There were a group of teachers from Oklahoma who won a fellowship to go to the Amazon and study. And one of our first destinations on our website, Yachana Lodge in Ecuador, was the place they were going. And they got together an entire suitcase full of supplies. Their whole school got involved, and they took them over. They called themselves the Amazon Divas. And (laughs) (laughs) they put their story on our website. So It's always lovely if you pack for a purpose and you'd like to tell us about your experience, but it's not not at all necessary. The most important thing is that you choose to do that because I can guarantee everybody who does that that your vacation and indeed your whole life will be enriched enriched by this very small and simple but meaningful gesture. And I really want to thank you for this opportunity to spread the word and let all of your listeners know about this project. Well, you know, we're we're so happy to to partner with you and I think, you know, the, the there is a, um, a natural uh, marriage between our our missions and uh, and so I, I I love what you're doing and I thank you for spending the time. I thank you for creating uh, this wonderful uh, opportunity for travelers to to leave positive footprints and uh, and certainly for uh, spending the time with us uh, today. Um, Rebecca Rothney is founder of Pack for a Purpose, and I encourage all of our listeners, all of you guys, to set aside a small area of your suitcase and, uh, and give back to a community. So please visit packforapurpose.org. Rebecca, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure and my honor. After the break, Director Bob Bilheimer takes us inside the dark world of human trafficking. It's true, trafficking exists in literally every country in the world, and there are, as you know, 190 countries. Next on World Footprints Radio. Hi, I'm Callie Schultz from the great city of New Orleans, and you're listening to World Footprints Radio. We can't wait to see you in New Orleans very soon. World Footprints Radio is an award-winning broadcast and leader in socially conscious travel. Hosts Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick bring you entertaining and informative interviews with well-known celebrities, newsmakers, authors and industry professionals. From environmental leaders like Bobby Kennedy Jr. and David Rockefeller Jr. 
to conservationists like actress Stephanie Powers and director Ken Burns. Tune in to hear travel journalism at its best. Visit unique places from around the world and stop by the worldfootprints.com website for comprehensive travel information including special daily travel deals. Join award-winning World Footprints Radio, a leader in socially conscious travel for inspiring, entertaining, and educational shows. Meet well-known guests like Bobby Kennedy Jr., actress Stephanie Powers, director Ken Burns, David Rockefeller Jr., and other celebrities, newsmakers, and industry professionals who celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and support public diplomacy. Travel with us to unique places around the world, Join us in our efforts to raise awareness about environmental conservation and human rights issues and learn what you can do to leave positive footprints one step at a time. Visit our interactive and informative website, worldfootprints.com. Hi, I'm Aisha from Connecticut via India, and I would encourage you to listen to worldfootprints.com. It's a great radio station, so do tune in. Thank you. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. It is one of the fastest growing crimes in the world, a $32 billion industry. What is it, and why is this relevant to travel, you ask? The crime is human trafficking. We recently partnered with the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, also known as UN GIFT, in order to use our gift of media to raise awareness about this crime among the travel community. Our next guest, Oscar-nominated director Robert Bilheimer, also uses his gift of filmmaking to raise awareness about social, cultural, and humanitarian concerns. Bob's company, Worldwide Documentary, brings to light the way the world is today, a world of small islands of wealth surrounded by vast oceans of poverty and despair. His films include Cry of Reason, for which he received an Academy Award nomination, A Closer Walk, which examines the global response to the HIV-AIDS crisis, and most recently, Not My Life, which confronts the tragedy of human trafficking. Bob, welcome to World Footprints. Well, thank you very much. Now, you know, human trafficking is kind of the white elephant in the room. Nobody really wants to talk about it. It's very uncomfortable. And and some who have seen your film, Not My Life, has described it as disturbing. But that's a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. I I. Um, I think the, the difficulty with this issue is uh, because it truly is a, a crime and, and a global crime, um, it's therefore by nature kind of under, underground and, and hidden um, so that people really don't know. It's a classic kind of tip of the iceberg um, mm-hmm. uh, phenomenon. And, and I, I think what, what happens when people, you know, really begin to get even an inkling of, of, of what's going on in virtually every country in the world with respect to the trafficking of human beings, uh, the vast majority of whom are children, um, it's, it, it's shocking. <laughs> That's all there is to it. And it was one of our challenges, I think, as filmmakers to um, say, look, this is really going on and there are really dreadful things happening. And yet, 
you know, to be conscious that it, it's hard for people to see and hear this. Indeed. Uh, these are astonishingly cruel crimes, frankly. Indeed. And, and I know, uh, you, you know, this movie just premiered, um, this film just premiered at the Lincoln Center in, in New York. Um, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, I think what, what has happened by the, the feelings that are raised in people when they watch it is you're helping to raise a, a consciousness about this global issue. Uh, and, and, I, and so I do think those feelings are, at the end of the day, a very, a very good thing. Now, it, it took you four years to, to film this. Where did you shoot the, 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 the uh, documentary? Uh, we were on five continents over a period of, Four years, and oh gosh, I, I think about 15 countries in Africa, Asia, Europe, um, um, Southeast Asia. Wow. Um, and then, uh, you know, probably, I don't know, six or seven states here in the, in the USA. Uh, we were in Latin America. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we pretty much um, covered the, the world, as it, as it were, and we felt it was important to do that because. Uh, literally uh, as our very first trafficking in persons ambassador at the State Department, John Miller said four years ago, and it's true, trafficking exists in literally every country in the world, and there are, as you know, 190 countries. Um, So we did feel that it was an important thing to, you know, to kind of set foot in in a representative kind of um, sample of the the planet, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. In doing my own research and actually even presenting on this issue, you know, I've noticed there are so many barriers, so many barriers to fighting this crime, including uh, lack of prosecution and misperceptions. And I think one of the, the gross misperceptions uh, is that in North America, this problem is perceived as a third world problem problem, but as you mentioned, part of your film actually uh, covered uh, states in the United States. Uh, Human trafficking in this country is is a classic uh, example of the tip of the iceberg phenomenon that I was talking about before. The the majority of trafficking crimes in in this country are are, um, are in the the, uh, the sexual trafficking um, of, of girls. Um, but there are other issues uh, such as domestic servitude, a certain amount of, of, of labor, um, illegal labor uh, issues. But the, the, the big one here is, is, is the, the, the sexual um, aspect of, of this. And it's really kind of um, astonishing uh, to begin to understand what's going on. In terms of uh, that, that industry with girls, you know, starting at the ages of 10, mm. uh, you know, the guests now, and one of the troubling thing is that there really hasn't been the research, you know, there, we, we really don't have the science on this, but the FBI and others, you, you know, uh, the frontline NGOs on this issue are saying you're looking at at least 150,000 children in this country, which I think is a low estimate that, you know, we're working full time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I've actually read about 200,000, but I think with uh, you, I agree, it's, I think it's still a low figure. 
Yeah, and if your listeners, you know, if you do the math, um, you, you, you take these 200,000 kids, and they're really, and I mean really kids, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're 8, 9, 10, going on up to 14, 15, 16. Um, and you take that figure of 200,000, and you say they work, each of these kids works all the time. So you multiply 200,000 times, you know, 300 you know, every day of the year, practically. And then you multiply that figure times the number of, of average sexual acts that these girls are forced to perform uh, every day, and you come up with with an absolutely horrific figure of, yeah. you know, hundreds of millions of acts of sexual violence committed in this country um, every single day. Yeah, and, and, and then I know, you know, there's only one-tenth of one percent of the criminals are persecuted for this. And, you know, and, I, and as an attorney myself, I'm trying to, I've been trying to wrap my head around this and understand why there's such a, a low rate of prosecution. Um, do you know what, what accounts for that? I do to an extent because we spent a fair amount of time, as viewers of the film will ultimately see, working with the FBI. And, you know, I just met some wonderful people there and talked to others about the whole justice issue. And it's simply a lack, frankly, of, of you know, it's a priority setting issue. But if you look at the FBI in, in particular because these are federal crimes. You know, the girls are frequently transported from state to state in violation of the Mann Act, which, you know, puts these crimes into the, the, the federal offense category for that reason alone. There is, you know, on the, it's not on the average, but the FBI told me they have one, you know, if you really look at the resources, like, for instance, that the FBI is voting to this, you're looking at... Um, you know, one agent per state, and that agent um, is, you know, only able to work on these kinds of crimes on a part-time basis. Wow. And that's just kind of the way it is, you know, if you, the, the resources are allocated otherwise. Um, and any FBI agent will tell you that, um, you know, it's way too low a priority. A lot of these guys work these cases on their own time, you know, on the weekends, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, and it's, so that for the American citizen, you know, there's a clear set of priorities and things that they can do. Um, and, uh, and, and one of them, I think, is advocating for a much, much uh, more vigorous level of, of, of law enforcement. Indeed. And, and laws. You, you know, the, do you know about the, um, the Safe Harbor Act? Yes. Well, there are only two states that have... Actually, passed the equivalent of the Safe Harbor Act. And you know, and in, 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 uh, again, I don't understand that, nor do I understand. Um, you know, going back to to my area, the the travel uh, industry, um, why only one hotel chain thus far has signed the the code, a code of conduct, which um, is 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 not a legally binding document, but. Uh, is a um, a commitment to to help fight human trafficking by you know just raising awareness 
uh, among their employees. And I know, you know, raising awareness is what you're doing very effectively. And it's, it's very critical to fighting social ills. Um, and when you combine awareness plus action, you can save lives. And a, a good example is what recently happened, you know, I don't know if it was Philly or DC or Washington, um, but um, when a, a passenger uh, on a flight uh, from the Northeast Corridor to uh, West Palm Beach, Florida alerted the flight staff about a suspicious passenger with a little boy. And I think, um, you know, this, the man traveling with this, this young son or this little boy um, couldn't give the, the gate agent uh, the child's name. And, uh, and I think that raised the, the um, uh, some red flags with the, uh, the other, you know, the, the passenger who reported them. Um, did you hear about this story? Do you know about this Absolutely. story? Absolutely. It's, it's a fabulous example. Absolutely, I did. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you said a lot of things that are very important and critical, and, and I think the main thing uh, that I would underline big time in terms of what you said is this simple fact, and we say this a lot because we deal with these as filmmakers with these issues, and obviously we're filmmakers, so awareness is, you know, kind of, our stock and trade, if you will, but um, you can't blame people for what they don't know. Right. And, which is the basic concept of awareness. And, and you can't say, well, go out and advocate for this or that, you know, if the, you don't know what the this or that is. So our job, we feel, is very much to say, look, this is going on, and here's a film about that. And, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's... These things are happening, and they're happening for this and that reason. We try to take a very in-depth approach as to basic causes of all these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once we've sort of done that, you know, gotten attracted people in one way or another to view the film, and there are lots of different ways we're attempting to do this with our distribution campaign that we think are maybe paradigm shifting. But once you've done that, you know, we ask ourselves the hard question too, well, okay, then what? You know, what happens to that viewer who's seen Not My Life and is going, oh my God, <laughs> I've got to do something about this. And it's at that point that we feel that, not in the sense that our job is over, but it's kind of, uh, that, that our job is then to pass that newly sensitized person on to an NGO um, that, that, that in fact is kind of, or to the FBI, that is in fact an expert in these things. So yes. it's at that point that our website becomes really kind of critical and why we put the name of our website, notmylife.org, up at the end of the film so that when people have just seen the film, they, they say, go to notmylife.org. And when they do that, that website is the opposite of being sort of a self-referential website. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a portal <laughs> to, you know, the organizations and the folks who are the real experts in this. So we make it very easy for somebody to go to the Polaris Project, to call the national hotline, to go to UNICEF, da 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 And it's so that the process for us is, Awareness first, and then and then you know make it easy, you know, for people to 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 advocate. Um, but we're not the ones to do that. We sort of are looking for really cool ways to make you know turn these sensitized, newly sensitized and aware folks over to people who really know what they're doing on this. Right, right, and 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 I want. I'm sorry. Does that make sense? 
Yes, it does. And, and I want to share your website, uh, this movie's website, again, uh, because there, there are critical resources there, uh, notmylife.org. And, uh, and we also have uh, resources on our website, worldfootprints.com. Uh, and so I think collectively, you know, it's uh, our, our, little, our little village of advocates is, uh, is growing and, and can certainly assist uh, people on not only just raising awareness, but, um, but helping to, to fight this in, in whatever, um, you know, way they, they can. And, and there's certainly a lot that travelers in the travel industry can do uh, to fight this crime. And, you know, simple things like talking to family and friends uh, about this, this, uh, this issue. Because, you know, again, it's, it's not really, it, it's the white elephant. Nobody really thinks about it, uh, talks about it too much. And, and so uh, by keeping this dialogue going, Oh, you know, we're we're doing just that by uh, raising awareness effectively. Oh, I, don't, I I just don't think there's any question about it. And you know, the encouraging part is there there really are things that have been published and uh, and so forth that you know people can um, that, that, you know that people can keep an eye out for. And um, you know, there's a national human uh, resources trafficking hotline, and uh, you know people can go to that when you're traveling. Um, you know, absolutely. There, I think increasingly too that there are gonna you're gonna start seeing in in in, 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 a, in more and more hotel chains and so forth. Um, you know, basic things. Bob, uh, thank you so much for leaving Positive Footprints and for taking the time with us today on uh, World Footprints Radio. Bob Bilheimer is the founder of Worldwide Documentaries. Thank you, my dear. Thank you so much, Sonia. I really enjoyed this. Up next, Lithuanian pianist Edvinas Mikstimas shares his music, travels, and more. I think you all was the most impressive. Although I, I did like the Tchaikovsky, the great Tchaikovsky Hall in Moscow, that's also very interesting. And it Next on World Footprints Radio. I'm Cheryl Ann from Spokane, and I'm a big fan of World Footprints Radio. You should listen every Tuesday. Hi, I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick. A few years ago, we decided to leave our respective legal practices to live a more purposeful travel life and help others leave positive footprints. World Footprints was born and was quickly recognized for its award-winning journalism. We've covered events from the Olympics to a Titanic expedition, and we've discussed conservation, environmental, and public diplomacy initiatives. Join us for award-winning radio and visit our website, worldfootprints.com, for daily travel deals and comprehensive travel information. Hi, I'm Tia from Montana, and I love World Footprints Radio. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. Edvinas Mikstimas hails from Qantas, Lithuania, and is widely regarded as one of Europe's top emerging young pianists. He made his debut at the age of 14 with the Lithuanian National Philharmonic Orchestra, and he's gone on to win international acclaim and multiple awards, including his most recent, the Bells Parker Young Artist Award. In addition to his impressive musical career, Edvinas is also founder of Global Lithuanian Leaders, a nonprofit organization that has a mission to support Lithuanians worldwide. And we welcome him to our show. Edvinas, welcome to World Footprints. 
Hello, thank you so much. I'm excited to be with you. <laughs> now, you began playing the piano at a very early age, and when you be- i mean, when you started off playing the this instrument, what drew you to the piano? Well, we happened to have a piano at our home, uh, even though my parents, none of them, were musicians, professional musicians. But both my dad and my mom, they loved music, and since my earliest days, I heard song at home violin playing. My father was an amateur violinist. And so, you know, we just happened to have piano at home, and I was very curious. I loved to come to the piano and touch the keys and make the noise, and I especially loved the attention that all of this produced from the adults. So that was interesting. And uh, then my parents decided that they had to call them to the you know, to tune the piano way too often because of my pranks. and so Because they, of your pranks? Yeah, I was just playing with the piano, and the piano would always be badly out of tune. <laughs> they decided that they needed, um, they needed to take me to the music school, and that would be the best vaccine against music. But it, it turned out that I loved the whole experience. I loved uh, playing piano. I loved um, making those noises more and more, and um, here I am. Oh, my gosh. And you say, you know, that uh, early on, Nordic poetry and Baltic mythology were your very early artistic influences. Has that changed as you've evolved, as as you've perfected your craft? Well, at the same time, I loved reading books, and that was always one of my big, big loves, big sources of inspiration. I, I loved reading tales, fairy tales. And you can just only imagine all those German, Polish, and Baltic, and Russian, uh, northern fairy tales, sometimes grim, always dramatic, full of fog and mystery and chivalry. Mm. So, you know, and so, so all of that was, was part of my childhood world, together with classical music and then, you know, the, the great beauty that surrounded me in that regard. So definitely, definitely the, the mythology and the fairy tales, uh, all of that was, was a big part of my artistic uh, growing up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when we met you, um, gee, just a few weeks ago, it seems, uh, you spoke a lot about Chopin, and I mean, you played on this magnificent uh, piano at, uh, at our mutual friend's home. Uh, but uh, you spoke a lot about Chopin, and, of course, one of my favorites, uh, uh, favorite composers is Rachmaninoff, and I would have loved to uh, to hear you play uh, something from Rachmaninoff. But do you have a favorite composer? Well, it's really hard to single out one composer. I, I used to love Beethoven, and then my big love was Brahms, and still is. I love Brahms very much. But I also do Chopin, I love Chopin, Liszt. I played a lot of Liszt and Rachmaninoff. I played Rachmaninoff first, second uh, piano concertos as well as the Paganini Rhapsody and many of his preludes and etudes. Hmm. So you will definitely hear me play Rachmaninoff the next time I see you. Yes, I, I, I'm going to hold you to that one. <laughs> that will definitely be at Venus, you've already amassed an impressive uh, resume in terms of your performance and you've uh, completed studies at the Paris Conservatory and uh, you're currently in the doctoral program at Juilliard, one of the world's great music schools. How important has this education in some of the great music conservatories been in your development as an artist? Right. Well. I have to begin by saying that 
Uh, I started at the Lithuanian Music Academy, and the Lithuanian Music Academy is largely affected by the Russian piano school. So, leaving Lithuania and studying first at the Paris Conservatory and later at the Juilliard School was in many ways an eye-opener for me. So, I suddenly, I suddenly was exposed to different piano-playing traditions, and I, I learned so much more. But besides piano-playing, uh, being in, in, and living in the United States, for seven years now has been a great learning experience for me. And I believe that I have developed a lot since then. And they learned a lot about how society works, uh, how democracy works. Because Lithuania, although now a democratic country, uh, has, has been occupied for such a long time that only now uh, countries starting to incorporate itself into the Western, Western world. So for me, Living in the United States probably was, was, was the biggest um, the biggest single influence. And of course, being at Juilliard and being in New York meant that I was constantly surrounded by some of the world's greatest artists, musicians, but not only, dancers, uh, painters, and New York scene is extremely, extremely rich in that regard. In terms of your experience at uh, Juilliard, that's a place that brings together uh, everyone who's who, who wants to play, wants to write music, wants to dance. Talk to us about what it's been like for you being in that community. Well, it has been very competitive and rewarding because um, you know I, I used to grow up in a relatively small country and. Uh, I always felt that you know, things were going easy for me. And suddenly when I came to Juliet, I saw um, hundreds of other kids, extremely talented, extremely bright, are playing very, very well, uh, motivated, uh, goal-driven, successful. And that made me work harder. And that made me uh, realize my weak spots and uh, work on them. It developed repertory. I, I heard so many great concerts in Juliet. And uh, I was constantly, and still am constantly inspired by my colleagues to move on uh, and to always look for new outlets of creativity, for new, new repertory, and uh, it's just a very important. Mm-hmm. You're a, a very uh, versatile performer. You've you know, performed as a soloist, uh, as a chamber musician, and with symphony orchestras. Do you have a, a preference for the performance um, venue, I guess, or performance format? Do you prefer the smaller, like, you know, chamber? Uh, um, do you perform, uh, prefer smaller chamber um, groups or larger uh, orchestras or um, solo performances? You know, it's hard to answer. I need, I did all of that, and I love it all. I love, I, my, my first love, of course, is playing with the orchestra, being a true solo, solo recitals, but I love immense chamber music. I have performed with many violinists and cellists. I can just name but a few, uh, Sean Lee, Adrian Daurov, Danger Hansen, uh, Laura Latsky, all of these mm-hmm wonderful people from the Juilliard School. I also have an a, a Avenue 9 piano trio that currently consists of myself, violinist Sean Lee, and cellist Adrian Daurov. Uh, I also performed with singers. 
uh, male and female. I brought some of my Julia's colleagues to perform in the Baltic. Um, so I love chamber music as well, and it's a very, it's a very interesting experience because um, you get to interact with people and you get to understand their thinking and their thinking about music as well uh, better. And it's important that personalities match chamber music, and in that regard, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a lot. I I also love, as as you saw, I love performing in small intimate circles where I get to meet people, where I get to know people, and people get to know me, and uh, share the experience, not just the music, but also what this music means to me, what this music means to them, what music means to everybody, and uh, what beauty, you know, so, so you go outside this spectrum of just music, uh, this musical world, uh, mm-hmm. more human um, experience. Is there, uh, you know, um, we mentioned that you've performed in many different venues and um, all over the world. Do you have a a favorite concert hall, or is there a concert hall that you're really longing to perform in one day? Well, you know, I I won't be very uh, original by saying that Carnegie Hall is among my absolute favorites. Fantastic, uh, fantastic concert venue. Um, now, let me just think a minute. I indeed performed a lot, but um, I would say that so far, probably Carnegie Hall was the most impressive. Although I, I did like the Tchaikovsky, the great Tchaikovsky Hall in Moscow. That's also very interesting and a very um, demanding venue to perform in. But um, but Carnegie probably has it has this cozy atmosphere. That mm-hmm. A very large, a very large venue. At the same time, it's it's very um, don't feel um, that tense playing playing for a lot of people. It's it's a pleasant feeling to be on the stage there. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had some very good concert halls. Mm-hmm. Concert halls, for example, uh, at the Paris Conservatory. I love some concert halls in Paris, but uh, most of them tend to give you the feeling of being the darkness, um, um, slightly oppressive, I have to say. <laughs> now, you've mentioned some of the different halls that you've played. Are there differences in the audiences from country to country in terms of their appreciation and how they receive your music? It definitely. I, I say that, although it's very difficult to generalize, uh, and it depends on the repertoire that you play, um, audiences in, in my home country and in the Northern Europe are slightly more reserved, if, if I can make such a generalization. And um, I love performing for American audiences because people are very receptive and um, almost always you feel very, very welcome on the stage, and that's very important. So it, it helps to establish the connection with the listener, mm-hmm. and um, it's a much better experience for all of us. And and I think, you know, as you experienced when you played for, for us Americans, um, we tend to wear our hearts on the sleeve and, and, and much more expressive uh, of our appreciation. And certainly, you know, I would imagine that uh, the audience that, you know, you played to when we met uh, was very similar perhaps to what you, uh, what you experience um, around this country. And um, and I know you travel a lot between New York and, and D.C. 
Well, first of all, I do have a lot of friends in this field. I visit quite often, and I also do perform quite a lot in both cities. But uh, yes, I do have a lot of friends, and they call what what they call my American family. I have them also living in DC, so um, that definitely um, helps. And they love this city. I it, these two cities, DC and New York, complement each other very well. Mm-hmm. New York is very intense. And DC is more on a relaxed scale, or so it seems. DC offers you much more nature, um, a, a more sort of enjoyable lifestyle. So it's nice to be able to to, to experience both. Well, I, I hope you consider Ian and I as part of your uh, your your American family now. <laughs> so <laughs> we we'd love to see you every time uh, you know when when you when you do come down here. Now, uh, Venus, you just returned from a trip overseas. Where did you go, and and uh, what was the purpose of that trip? Was it uh, a performance trip or personal? Right. Well, this time I went uh, back to my home country, and and the purpose of my trip was twofold. First of all, I was performing. I gave uh, more than five concerts. Uh, actually, I gave six concerts uh, in two weeks, and I also um, actively participated in in meetings and press conferences related to the to this organization, Global Lithuanian Leaders, which I helped found uh, here in in DC, uh, in the United States, and uh, it's a network. It's a network that embraces uh, all bright professional minds of Lithuanian extraction and non-ethnic uh, Lithuanians, uh, people, in other words, that associate themselves uh, with Lithuania, with its future, and want to see a prosperous, strong, strong and um, fully democratic country. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a big project, and we are only starting, but so far, has been, it has been um, very successful, and um, I love seeing the enthusiasm that young Lithuanians showed and embraced this idea. Speaking of Global Lithuanian Leaders, the organization that you just spoke of, what are some of the things that it's involved with in terms of spreading goodwill, building relationships between Lithuania and the rest of the world? Well, right now, Lithuania is a very divided country because more more than a third of ethnic Lithuanians live uh, outside the territory of Lithuania, all over the world. And we have some very prominent scientists, uh, musicians, sportsmen, uh, sportswomen, uh, business people that you know, they're losing their connection to the country and their knowledge, their experience, and their potential is uh, is very much needed in Lithuania. Uh, Lithuania is it? Well, it's Lithuania 90,000 young people next year, 2011. That's the official statistic. Now, it's very important that Lithuania is only uh, three and a half. Uh, that's that's very significant. And uh, so, what we are trying to do is uh, ELL, Global Lithuanian Leaders, is a non-profit organization. And, uh, but it covers all spectrum of activities. So we have the economy, we have business, we have science, art, culture, fashion, sport. And we 
whole end, the, the, the price is flying worldwide with Lithuania and Origin, Lithuania friends of Lithuania. And we assign them or we suggest projects for them where they can invest, where they can collaborate with the right people living in Lithuania. Uh, they can come back for scientific conferences, they can participate in volunteer work, so there's so many different possibilities and so many different projects that they can work with through us. And uh, as an example, there is a new initiative that we started just uh, weeks ago, and that is called Invite Your Friends to Lithuania. We want to invite our personal friends, and we ask everybody to join us by inviting their personal friends who have not visited Lithuania and live abroad to come experience the country. And we hope that people will have a very positive and good experience in Lithuania. They will see how much that, how much culturally and um, as in other regards Lithuania has to offer, they will become sort of cultural ambassadors in Lithuania. And uh, the near positive experience now, have you have you partnered with um, the tourism body on on this project? We have different chains of hotels and our partners, as well as the tourism infrastructure. Now we're uh, negotiating the exact uh, the exact deals with the with airlines, the with airlines, and um, other companies that will facilitate all of this happening. In fact, the Sure. Now, um, what is the, the website where people can learn more about global Lithuanian leaders and, and uh, particularly this tourism initiative? No, we have a temporary website, uh, www.lithuanianleaders.org. But a new uh, fully equipped uh, internet website will launch, uh, and uh, we, we expect people to join us then because they, they will be able to see. Uh, have all the services uh, available to them, but you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Okay, great. And where can listeners go to learn more about your upcoming performances so they can follow you around the world? Well, um, everybody's welcome to visit my website, Oh, great. Well, thank you, Edvina, so much for joining us today on World Footprints Radio, and we look forward to uh, seeing some upcoming performances and seeing you again, and uh, I certainly look forward to enjoying your rendition of a Rachmaninoff piece. We hope you enjoyed our show today, and we always look forward to spending quality travel time with you throughout the week, and certainly to connecting with you on our social networks in real time. So follow us on 
platforms like Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our newsletter and travel deals at worldfootprints.com. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, same frequency. And until then, we wish you blue skies and purposeful travel that leaves positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada. Banff National Park. Natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. World Footprints Radio is a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.